The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. And I'm your advocate host, Suzanne Herbst. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. We have a very exciting episode today where we're going to be talking about guardianship and specifically looking at guardianship as it relates to the Free Britney movement. Yeah, talk about current events. Exactly. We, you know, we don't get too much opportunity to, be, to we don't get a whole lot of opportunity to be top of podcast. So this is very exciting for us. Yes, but before we jump in, let's check out disability in the news. President Joe Biden's new $2 trillion infrastructure plan includes a massive investment in home and community-based services for people with disabilities. $400 billion of that is allocated to Medicaid home and community-based services for those currently on a waiting list. The White House said these investments will help hundreds of thousands of Americans finally obtain the long-term services and support they need while creating new jobs and offering caregiving what is along overdue ways, stronger benefits, and an opportunity to organize or join a union and collectively bargain. The White House pointed to research suggesting that increased pay for direct care staff leads to better quality care, better productivity, fewer health violations, and helps prevent deaths. The spending would occur over the next eight years, paid for by the frequent tax increases. Beyond services to people with disabilities, Biden's American Jobs Plan would also extend access to competitive, integrated employment for people with disabilities and buy employers from paying people with disabilities what is known as sub-minimum wage pay that is less than the federal minimum. Find out more at disabilitystoop.com. Today on the podcast, we have our beautiful, wonderful, intelligent co-worker and attorney, Dave Trainum, and we are going to be talking about guardianship, but specifically, we're going to be talking about guardianship through the lens of the Free Britney movement. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have either heard about or seen the New York Times documentary really going into detail about Britney Spears' situation with the conservatorship and her battle uh, to get her father removed from that conservatorship. So we're gonna go into that today. Uh, we're gonna talk about, you know, what Virginia as well. 
Yes, the state, not me specifically, but um, I, I do want to put out a disclaimer at the very beginning. Um, we are not speculating on Brittany's specific situation, and we're not going to talk about um, the exact terms of her conservatorship or what legal rights she necessarily does or does not have. Um, that said, this is something that people are becoming suddenly very aware of and feel really strongly about. So we think it's important to talk about guardianship and conservatorship in the context of this documentary, um, what subjects it brings up and how these concepts might apply to Virginians in similar situations. All right, let's jump right in. So, so people lose a lot of rights in guardianship. In the legal world, it's sometimes referred to as a civil death because if someone is declared incapacitated and they have a guardian appointed, um, they lose the right. Think of how many times in a week or a month you sign your name to something. You sign your name to it because you have the legal capacity to do so. If someone has a guardian, they can't sign their name to anything. So any sort of contract, um, getting an apartment, getting a credit card, buying anything that requires a signature, they're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to make their own medical decisions. So they're not allowed to make decisions about their body. Um, when a guardian is appointed, the clerk of the court sends out certain letters within 24 hours of that guardianship being appointed. Those letters are go out to the Department of Motor Vehicles. If the person has a driver's license, that driver's license is immediately revoked. If they don't have a driver's license, there's a letter put on file that they cannot get a driver's license. A letter is sent to the Department of Elections. Um, if that person um, was a voter, they, their right to vote is revoked. Um, they cannot vote. Uh, a letter is sent to whatever that place is that keeps track of people who can't have firearms. Because um, if you have a guardian, you're um, declared incapacitated you no longer have the right to possess a firearm. So um, uh, you know, some people would say, well, if you have a guardian and you're incapacitated, maybe you shouldn't have a firearm. But you know, in Virginia, we think the right to hunt is so important that it's in our constitution. Uh, you know, <laughs> Virginia constitution gives us the right to hunt. So um, that can be a big thing for a family, you know, that hunts together. Um, and it's not just ownership of a firearm. They cannot possess a firearm. So if they live in a house with firearms, they cannot have access to them. Um, so they have to be locked up. Um, so those are, they can't, um, they can't write a will. They can't change a will. They can't write an advanced directive. They can't change their advanced directive. They can't get married. They can't get divorced. Um, so, you know, they can't move across state lines without court approval. So this is all, these are all things that, rights that are lost if a person has full guardianship. The court can protect any of those rights, um, but if they're not specifically protected in the court order of guardianship, then they are lost. Um, so I do wanna say before we get too far into it, when we're talking about Brittany, um, free Brittany, um, for those of you who watched the documentary or read anything about it, you'll, you'll see that they talk a lot about conservatorship. Let's just talk about vocabulary before we get started. Um, 
so this is her court order is in California and in California they call it conservatorship and that's conservatorship of the person and conservatorship of the estate um, and she has both her dad is is both um, so he makes decisions about her person um, her day-to-day -day activities her medical care her residence that sort of thing um, that's that's what California calls conservatorship of the uh, person um, and then conservatorship of the estate is pretty self-explanatory. In Virginia, we have different terminology. Similar, um, the two are similar, but they have different wording. So we have conservatorship, which means just over the estate and over the finances of the person. That's a conservator. Instead of having a conservator of the person, we call that a guardian. And so in Virginia, if someone um, is declared incapacitated and they have someone making decisions about their day-to-day -day care, their medical care, their residence, that sort of thing, um, then they're called their guardian. So terminology is different, but um, they act pretty much the same. Yeah, and those being extremely different concepts from a power of attorney or a healthcare agent. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we at DLCV and I personally believe very strongly in looking at alternatives to guardianship. And actually, Virginia law on this is also very clear. Um, the court must look at alternatives to guardianship. Is there a less restrictive alternative to guardianship? Because guardianship is the most restrictive choice. Um, so one of those alternatives to guardianship is um, a power of attorney. You can have that for healthcare, you can have it for finances, and for kids um, still in school under an IEP, you can have it for educational decisions. And it's so much different than a guardianship for many reasons. First off, all those civil rights I talked about losing, when you lose capacity, you maintain those rights um, under a power of attorney. And um, another big thing is that you get to choose who it is that makes decisions for you when you can't under a power of attorney. You choose, not the court. You also get to choose what powers you give that person and which powers that person does not have. So maybe I don't want that person, maybe I, so Virginia, maybe I name you as the person who's gonna make decisions for me when I can't. Um, but, I'm pretty clear on my end of life decisions. So I'm gonna write those down as instructions and they must be followed. And I'm gonna say, you don't have the right to make any decisions about my end of life care. So That's I can live it. Best. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I know you'd want me to live forever and you do everything you can to keep me alive I forever. I would yes. water you like a beautiful flower. Yes, yes. And that's not what I would want. Um, so, but the, the um, some other differences in um, an advanced directive as opposed to a guardianship. The courts don't have to get involved with an advanced directive. And speaking as an attorney, I can tell you that keeping attorneys out of your life as much as possible is a good thing. Um, so you don't have to involve attorneys when you write a power of attorney. <laughs> um, and you can change it at any time. Um, so if I decide Virginia, you know what? you're fired. And Suzanne, I want you because now you're my best friend. Um, and I want you to make decisions about my healthcare. 
I am so honored, first of all. Thank you. And I think you made the right choice here, me over Virginia. I think so, too. But stay tuned. I am fickle. Um, But one of the biggest things with the power of attorney um, or or advanced directive, um, and we'll get into the difference between those, um, with an advanced directive, I don't give up any of my rights right now because I have capacity. Um, Most people think I have capacity. So um, I can make all my own decisions and that doesn't, doesn't come into, I don't lose my right to make decisions until I can't make them. So, um, you know, I go along my daily life. I'm making my own decisions. I'm talking to my doctor. I'm making healthcare decisions. Um, I'm deciding, you know, all the things about my life, but something happens. Either I have an injury or an illness um, or a mental health crisis and all of a sudden, I don't have that capacity right now. And um, if two doctors say that ah, Dana's not able to make her own decisions right now, that's when my advanced directive kicks in. It's unlike guardianship. Guardianship, those rights are taken away. And even if I can make decision A, I can't make decision A because the courts already said I can't make decision A. And I, I think that that's, you, you jokingly at the beginning of this um, said something along the lines of, well, most people think I have capacity, but that's a, that's a really important part of it. Because in the state of Virginia, like you by default have capacity unless something has been said otherwise. Um, you know, I've, I've, had a little bit of issue with how the documentary I need to probably close Outlook because I know it went I had a little bit of an issue with how the documentary sort of discussed conservatorship and people with disabilities because they were talking about like well she's not really disabled she's not really deficient as if, you know, somebody who has a disability, who has, you know, any kind of cognitive difficulty automatically would need a guardian. Yeah, and, and, and the other thing that they said at least twice, if not more, oh, this is mostly for old people. Um, and I, I don't know if that's true in California, but it is not true in Virginia. Um, I see guardianship, the two, main populations get guardians. Yes, older people whose mental capacity is declining because of age. Yes, that is a population where we see guardianship. The other are young folks, folks just turning 18 um, who have a disability, especially an intellectual um, developmental disability. Um, And parents are told, hey, you know, you got to get guardianship. And they're not told that there are other options. And they do it thinking then that they're doing the best thing for their child. And it may be, um, but there are other alternatives that sometimes aren't considered. And so, um, you know, those are the cases that we really care about really um, strongly in Virginia because we have a lot of young folks getting guardianship at an early age that may not need it. Um, that may, you know, certainly benefit from some of these alternatives. So, um, Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and Dana, let me ask you, I don't think the documentary was super clear about this, at least not to me. It seemed like 
oh, she, you know, went into a hospital and then clearly she needed a conservatorship. So how do judges, how do courts determine when somebody needs a guardianship or a conservatorship? So yeah, I didn't like the way they did that either. It was almost like, oh, you're in a hospital, you need a guardian. Um, I would say, I don't, Virginia, you're the stat person, but you don't have the numbers either. But I, most people in psychiatric hospitals, including our state facilities, do not have guardians. Um, I don't know what the statistic would be on that, but it's pretty high. They don't have guardians and they don't need guardians. Um, even if someone is involuntarily committed, such as um, it sounds like Brittany was, still does not mean she doesn't have capacity. Um, so how the court determines capacity is through the guardianship proceeding, what happens is someone petitions the court for guardianship. Here was her father, okay, it was Jamie. Um, petitioned the court for guardianship. With that petition, he probably included medical evidence showing that she lacked capacity to make decisions for herself. And there were people in the documentary who said that probably in the beginning, it probably, she probably did need it. Um, you know, she was going through a really rough time. She wasn't making great decisions. She was sort of spiraling. Um, and so maybe she needed that substitute decision maker to kind of step in temporarily. And the, and the father did do a temporary conservatorship at first. Um, the court is going to look at the evidence. Now, they didn't say anything in the documentary about a guardian ad litem. In Virginia, we have a guardian ad litem system. So every person who goes before the court um, on a petition for guardianship has appointed what's called a guardian ad litem. Um, again, vocabulary, that person is not a guardian. Um, so it's kind of a bad uh, title because it's not a guardian. The guardian ad litem is the attorney for the court. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that, oh, the guardian ad litem is my attorney and that person's going to take care of me in court. The guardian ad litem is the attorney for the court, not for the individual. And that the guardian ad litem has several roles. First, they review the record and interview people if necessary um, so that they can make recommendations to the court. They also talk to the individual um, who may be getting a guardian to tell that individual what their rights are, um, including the right to be there in court, the right to a jury trial. In Virginia, um, it can be by jury. Never seen it happen, but it can be. And they also have the right to an attorney. And if they can't afford one, one will be appointed to them at the state's expense. And then the guardian ad litem comes to the court with all that information. They write a report and they, they answer two questions. First off, do they think that the individual lacks capacity? And if the answer to that question is yes, then they answer the second question. And that question is, is the person petitioning the court to be the guardian and or conservator the best person for the job? Um, and so that's the role of the guardian ad litem. That didn't appear to, if, it, if they have that in California, it wasn't mentioned in the documentary. One other important thing in Virginia law, I have to say that our guardianship law after watching this documentary uh, is pretty good. Um, under Virginia law, the individual absolutely has the right to the attorney of their choice. So um, we saw in the documentary that Brittany 
did not have the right to choose her attorney and one was appointed for her. Doesn't mean that she got less legal representation because it sounds like this guy's been with her the whole time. Um, but in Virginia, you absolutely have the right to attorney of your choice. And that's true even if you're found to be incapacitated. Um, you still have the right to choose your own attorney. The other difference in Virginia law too is that um, the guardian ad litem uh, must uh, give consideration to the individual's preference if someone is um, um, going to be getting a guardian. The guardian ad litem must include that they have talked to the individual about their preference about who will fulfill that role for them. And then the law goes even further in that the court, and I want to make sure I get this right, um, so I wrote it down. Um, <clears throat> the court shall give due deference to the individual's choice on who they want to serve as that role. So, um, so that is very different from what we're, we saw in the Brittany case. So, so it didn't seem, um, you know, even in the beginning, like she had a whole lot of choice over her father becoming the guardian in the situation. Um, you know, very clearly later on, she made attempts to have him removed, even, you know, saying, I don't, I don't even mind having a conservator. I just don't want it to be him. Um, and there were kind of dubious things that happened later, like her ex-husband taking out a restraining order against her father slash conservator because he allegedly assaulted one of their kids. Um, you know, what can, what can people do in Virginia, at least, about a situation where, like, they need somebody out or, you know, God forbid they are in danger from somebody or need a protective order against somebody who's their guardian? So the courts, you know, they can go and still get a protective order even if the person is their guardian. The next step um, in that case would probably be to get an attorney and um, ask to have that person removed and use as evidence the fact that you got a protective order against them. I will say that it's, it's, probably true in all states, but it's definitely true in Virginia. It's easier to get a guardian than it is to have one removed. So once a guardian is in place, now, if the individual um, is restored to capacity, so the person doesn't need the guardian anymore. Let's just say, for example, um, the person had a guardian appointed um, after they were in a car accident and they had a serious head injury. Okay, let's use that as, as an example. Um, but after rehabilitation and a period of time, you know, the brain healed and, you know, the person's now able to make their own decisions, then there could be evidence of restoration of capacity, go back to court and ask for that guardianship to either be removed or be modified and give them some of their rights back, you know, depending on the level of healing. That is a fairly straightforward process in Virginia, and that's something that DLCV assists people with. Um, fairly regularly, if there is evidence of restoration of capacity. The harder case is when the person still needs a guardian, and there's no doubt they still need a guardian, but the guardian they have is not a great choice, especially if it's a family member. It's not really easy to get that person removed. If you go into court 
and you have evidence such as a restraining order or you have evidence of malfeasance. They're not, you know, maybe they're the conservator and they're not handling the money correctly or they're not filing the annual reports like they're required to. Then maybe, um, you know, you can get a guardian removed and replaced with somebody. The issue is going to be, do you have someone readily available to replace that guardian? Because the courts already declared that person incapacitated. They cannot make their own decisions. So the court is going to be really reluctant to remove someone as guardian without immediately replacing it with somebody else. Because otherwise it leaves the person in kind of this legal no man's land because they can't make their own decisions, but there's nobody available to make the decisions for them. We do see that happen a lot of times when the guardian dies and there has been nothing put in place for who's to take over when the guardian dies. Um, and it can be a really uh, difficult place to be legally um, because if I don't have the capacity to make my own decisions, I legally can't do that. And there's nobody to do it for me then, you know, ah. Um, and so courts don't wanna put people in that situation um, by removing a guardian and not having somebody to replace them. So, but here that wasn't Brittany's case because she named a bank that she wanted to be um, her conservator. And I found it interesting that the court said, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna kick Jamie off the case, but we will add the bank that Brittany wanted. So it was kind of this, I guess the court saw it as a compromise. One of the key pieces in the documentary was Brittany saying, you know, she can still have the conservatorship, but she wants this third party. She wants this bank to take over the estate process. And I think, you know, when we think of guardians, we probably usually think, like you said, like of a mom and a dad or maybe of children. So what kind of situation would we have where we do have that third party that maybe is a business that becomes a guardian or a conservator? So we do see that in Virginia, um, and there are two different ways to go for that, either paid or public. So Virginia does have a public guardianship program, and if someone is um, considered indigent um, and what we call unbefriended, meaning they don't have anybody in their life who can be their guardian, and they can't afford to pay someone to be their guardian, we do have a public guardianship program. Um, it always has a wait list. We, we never have enough slots for the people that need it. The other way to go is um, people can pay their guardian or conservator. Um, and that can be, um, I've seen people pay attorneys to handle that role. Um, I've seen things um, like uh, organizations that will do that, um, but they pay them. And, it, and and I think, and this is not my area of expertise, but I think a lot of times it's based on a percentage of the person's estate. So, or, you know, like, or if they get, say, social security disability, a percentage of what they um, get can be paid to the guardian or conservator to handle their estate. And it did sound like that was true in Brittany's case too. Um, it was like 1.5% of her gross revenue went to pay her guardian and, and guardians and conservator. Um, one interesting thing came up on um, social media, a question that came up from one of our coworkers is, you know, Brittany has to pay her own attorney, but she also has to pay her dad's attorney. What's, what's up with that? Um, yeah, that happens in Virginia too. Um, if, if the person under guardianship um, 
has the finances, then then um, they have to reimburse the person who petitioned the court for guardianship. Now, Virginia says, I don't like that. I don't either. And here's the thing. So I petitioned the court to be guardian of Virginia. Okay. Because somebody has to. And, um, and so I petitioned the court. I pay my lawyer. Um, you know, I pay the guardian ad litem. Oh, and yet this in Virginia, my attorney can choose the guardian ad litem and ask the court, hey, could you appoint this guy to be the guardian ad litem so I can even choose um, the guardian ad litem? So I pay these people, we go to court, and um, I become Virginia's guardian. Well, Virginia had, you know, she works for DLCV, so we know she's got a lot of money. And um, so I asked the court, everybody's hysterically laughing, but they're on mute, so you guys don't know that. Um, so I asked the court for Virginia to pay me back once I'm appointed her guardian. And if she has the finances, the court, um, it's the court in the court's discretion, the court can say, yes, Virginia, you have to pay back Dana for her, the attorney, the guardian ad litem, and all the court costs involved. Now, if I go to court and the judge decides ultimately that Virginia doesn't need a guardian, then um, uh, I can still say, well, Your Honor, I didn't bring this frivolously. I really thought that she needed a guardian and I really did it because I care about Virginia and I did it, you know, in her best interest. The court can still order Virginia to pay my attorney's fees, the court cost everything. Um, so that's just the way the law is written. Uh, most of the folks that, that I've worked with in the past don't have the finances to be able to do that. They're indigent themselves, so it really doesn't come into play. But when you're talking about somebody with um, Brittany's finances, yes, she absolutely can be forced to pay for her own attorneys as well as the other sides. Speaking of social media questions, we got a question from listener Katie. Thank you, Katie. Um, saying that her number one question was how frequently guardianships or conservatives have to be reviewed um, because, you know, like you said earlier, it sounds like this was originally supposed to be a temporary situation that's definitely shifted into a permanent situation. Um, I know we can't answer the exact specifics for Brittany's situation, but what's it like in Virginia? So in Virginia, guardians and conservators are required to submit annual reports. Um, guardians submit their reports to local Department of Social Services who then submit them to the court. Uh, conservators submit their reports to, um, I think it's Commissioner of the Revenue, I think. Um, it's a different office. Now, I say required, and I probably should put that in air quotes because um, I've been involved in cases where no report has been filed in over 10 years and nothing happens. Um, part, part of the report is, does the do you feel like the individual still needs this level of um, protection? But if the reports aren't filed, then you know it doesn't really meet that purpose. Um, <coughs> they are not reviewed unless the court order actually puts a time limit on it. I have seen court orders that the guardian is appointed for a year, at which time the court will reevaluate the case. That, that, that's not the norm. Normally it's just written and it's up to the person um, under guardianship or somebody who cares about them 
um, such as DLCV, to assist them in um, asking the court to review it, modify it, uh, or terminate it. But it is not regularly reviewed. And some people don't know they have the right to have it modified or terminated. Dana, one thing that I noticed that they mentioned in the documentary and that bothered me was they had, you know, this whole section about Brittany um, dating this guy. And there was a suggestion that, you know, he was not a good influence on her life. And maybe that was part of the reason why the conservatorship was developed. And, you know, maybe there was, you know, some allegations of potential fraud. When there's a suggestion of undue influence from a from another party, what kind, how does that affect the conservatorship or the guardianship? Do you mean how does it affect it being put into place or when it's already in place? I think being put into place, uh, my question is how much do the courts take that into account? So I think, um, especially when you're looking at finances, uh, I think that's a major uh, piece of, of evidence if you're looking at having a, a conservator as Virginia just um, defines it, not you, Virginia Ferris, but the state of Virginia um, defines it. Easy mistake. Yes. Um, so say you have someone like, um, you know, Brittany that has a lot of money or you have, maybe I have, um, no, I can't use my mom because she's too young. But say you have a mom who's old. Um, I can't call my mom old. Um, and, you know, she's being unduly influenced by Gazelle. Okay, we'll call Gazelle. him Gazelle. He comes in and, you know, and he is taking advantage of, of, of an older person with, with a lot of money. That absolutely, you know, her kids could come in and use that as evidence. Um, you know, mom is not making the best um uh, choices when it comes to her money, i.e. my inheritance. Um, and so, you know, I want the court to step in and uh, appoint a conservator to handle the money. So that, it, it certainly can come in as evidence. Um, and, and and I think somebody did say that that guy was sort of the beginning of the of her downfall. Um, so um, I think there were many things that went into that. I know that you, okay, so you just talked a little bit about um, undue influence or the idea of somebody who's, you know, maybe going to take somebody's money, maybe going to sort of screw up their life for them and how that can lead to guardianship or conservatorship. What about somebody who's already under guardianship or conservatorship? Like, does, is that a viable protection for keeping somebody safe from ne'er-do-wells who aren't acting in their best interest? Actually, it is because um, remember when I said you can't sign your name to anything if you have a guardian or conservator? So um, Virginia, I got guardianship over you. Um, well, somebody sent you a credit card application and you sent it in um, and now you have a credit card and you just racked up $10,000 um, buying clothes. Well, you are, you cannot be held responsible for that because you didn't have the capacity to sign that. It's a contract. You didn't have the capacity to sign that contract in the first place. Um, so it was null and void when you signed it. 
Um, now, if I, as the guardian, gave you the contract and helped you figure it, fill it out or sent it in on your behalf, um, and then you and I together uh, took a trip to Vegas, um, I, as the guardian, would be held accountable and would be held liable for that um, because I did not carry out my duties as guardian and conservator. Um, I was neglectful in my duties. So it is a protection for people on undue influence. Now, sometimes guardianship and conservatorship does not solve the problem that the individual, the, the family member wants to solve. So let's talk a little bit about that. When someone tells me they want to become guardian over, let's say their child who's, who's um, of age, they're over 18. One of the first questions I'm going to ask them is, what is it you want to protect them from? Why do you want to become their guardian? And some of the answers I have gotten, um, one person said, uh, one parent, actually it's more than one. I've had this come up more than once. Well, you know, my child is really starting to get interested in sex. And um, I, I just don't think they're ready for that emotionally. So I think I need to become their guardian. Well, the guardianship order is not a chastity belt. A guardianship will not keep the individual from having sex. Um, a guardianship order will never, ever um, change behavior. It's not, it's a legal document. It's not a document that will change behavior. So it's not going to keep that individual from having sex. Um, what it will do is it, it says that if the individual lacks capacity and they have a guardian, they don't have the capacity to consent to sex. Um, and having sex with an incapacitated person is a crime. Um, so it, 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 that's true, but it won't keep the individual from having sex. It won't keep them from being sexually ex exploited um, by other people in the community. Uh, another thing that people will say is, well, I can't get um, my son or daughter to take their medication. I can't get them to go to doctor's appointments. They're just not taking their health seriously enough. So I think I need to become their guardian. Again, it's not gonna change their behavior. You can't use the guardianship order to force medication down their throat. It's not a magic carpet. It's not gonna take them to the doctor's appointment. Um, so just remember guardianship never changes behavior. It is a legal document that gives somebody the right to make decisions for that person legally. Just expanding on that a little bit more in something that was touched on in the document, um, can guardians control visitation? Can they control who gets to see the person under guardianship? So that's been a question of debate um, for quite a long time is do, do guardians really have the right to affect our, our, you know, our constitutional right to um, interact with, with other people, the right um, to um, have relationships. Virginia has settled that law. Um, it's interesting, DLCV was in, involved a few years ago with, um, there was a group of people who submitted a bill asking that the court, that the legislature give guardians the right to choose who could visit with people under guardianship. And DLCV was involved in opposing that and it didn't go through. But what we do have is the opposite. Um, 
and I'm going to read it to make sure that I get the wording correct. So all orders um, appointing a guardian must include certain language. Um, and it must also be in the order, um, in the guardianship order, in bold, in at least 14 point font. That is very conspicuous. And it must state certain things. Um, and they are that the guardian shall encourage the individual to participate in decisions, um, shall consider the expressed desires and personal values of the person, and shall not unreasonably restrict the person's ability to communicate with, visit, or interact with other persons with whom the individual has an established relationship. So Virginia has gone so far as to put it in law um, that guardians cannot restrict um, unreasonably. Now, you know, we lawyers love that word unreasonable because it kind of leaves the door open to all kinds of arguments. Um, but they cannot unreasonably interact. Um, I'm sorry, cannot unreasonably restrict the individual's right to interact with others. So, you know, it might take court cases to decide what is unreasonable. Now, let's let you go back to Brittany as an example, the boyfriend who they say was, you know, unduly influencing her, maybe using fraud um, to, to take money or power from her. You know, maybe it would be reasonable to restrict um, her um, access or interaction with that individual. Sort of going off of visitation, another big thing in the documentary was Brittany's custody battle for her children. So if somebody does have a guardian and they also have children, what can custody of those children look like for somebody, someone with a guardian? So, I mean, in Brittany's particular case, she didn't have custody. She had visitation and, and guardianship. Um, while it can be used as evidence in a custody visitation case, it, it, it's not the end all be all. If a person has a guardian and they have children, um, the fact that they have a guardian can certainly be used as evidence of whether they're fit or unfit, but it is not dispositive. I mean, it's, it's not, okay, you have a guardian, you cannot have custody of your kids. You have a guardian, you cannot have visitation with your kids. That's not true. It, it, can, only, it can only be used as evidence. Um, so someone could have a guardian and still have custody of their children. They may just have to have services in place, support in place. Could be a situation where, um, you know, my mom might be my guardian and I live with my mom, um, you know, and the kids do as well. So I can certainly see situations where that could be true. And it sounded like in Brittany's case, when it, um, it actually helped because she didn't have visitation rights to her children at all. And then once a, a conservator, or what we would call guardian, was appointed, within weeks, her visitation rights were um, reestablished. So, um, you know, it can work in the person's favor in a situation like that. Yeah, I've got a follow-up question. I saw this some in um, kind of some early Free Britney news reports when people were speculating on what she could or couldn't do. Um, I did see people speculating on, well, because she has a guardian, she's not allowed to get pregnant or have more children. Um, 
you've talked a little bit about that, you know, a guardianship is not going to prevent you from having sex. Um, would it prevent you from keeping a child that was born or would it allow your guardian to make you potentially get an abortion? So in, you know, under Virginia law, um, there are certain things that a guardian cannot approve. It has to go back to court and court has to approve it if the person's under guardianship. Um, and one of those is abortion or um, sterilization. Um, another is moving across state lines, although the court can put in the order that the guardian has the right to do that. If not, it's not in the order, then the guardian has to actually go back to court and the court makes that determination. So no, the guardian cannot consent to abortion. That has to go back to the court. The court has to do that um, under Virginia law. Um, I also wanna go back, just touch back on the custody case, something that I thought of. You're talking about two different court um, uh, proceedings in two different courts. When you're talking about guardianship, that's taken care of in the circuit court of the county where the person lives. When you're talking about guardian, um, I'm sorry, custody and visitation, that takes place in the juvenile and domestic relations court, JNDR court in the county where they live. Um, and so you're talking about two totally different courts and two totally different processes. So let me ask you, you know, after this conservatorship was placed, there was a lot of talk about how Brittany was still performing. She was putting out albums, she was touring, and then she had that extremely lucrative uh, residency in Las Vegas. So let's talk a little bit about guardianship and employment and what's happening with her wages, how much control does she have? It certainly looked from the outside like she might have had a lot of control, but then it can be scary to think, you know, is she doing all this work and then not, does she not have control of her money? So a person under guardianship and conservatorship can still um, have a job. They, um, you know, depending on um, what sort of skills or capacity is required for that job. So, you know, performing, she could certainly perform. And, I'll, and I have to say, and we're not, I'm not going to speak specifically to the Brittany case, but um, I will say that the ability to still work and do what you're doing doesn't say anything really about capacity. Um, because when we're talking about capacity, we're talking about the ability to make decisions about your personal life and your finances. That's a very different skill set from working. Um, and so one doesn't necessarily impact the other. Um, depending on what type of job you're talking about. Does, did, does she or did she have um, any control over her money? I will just say legally that with a conservator, no, she would not. Now, remember under Virginia law, um, the guardian and conservator shall include the individual as much as possible in decision-making. Um, I'm not, I have no idea if that's true in California. So even if I have a guardian and or conservator, I still should be allowed to make the decisions that I can make with the understanding that the guardian and or conservator is gonna make the final decision. They may, I may have some input, 
but but at the end of the day, it's that court appointed person who is going to make the decision and who is legally responsible um, for making that decision. So clearly a huge part of the documentary was that um, fans and the public essentially got concerned about the situation. They felt that, you know, this is not a person who needs a conservatorship and they wanted to get involved. If there is someone in Virginia listening who, who, uh, you know, maybe is seeing something similar, maybe seeing somebody that is under a guardianship or a conservatorship that they don't feel is appropriate, what can or should they do in that circumstance? So in, under Virginia law, anybody can petition the court for uh, a modification or termination of a guardianship, including the person who's under a guardianship. You know, the, the judge in the Brittany case made the, the determination, which even before the court hearing that she didn't have the capacity um, to decide who would represent her. That's not true in Virginia law. Even the individual themselves who is already under a guardianship can petition the court. And that just assumes that, that you know, there's going to be an attorney involved. Um, and then it says anybody else. So anybody who has a concern can ask the court to look at this guardianship. Um, the issue is going to be what sort of evidence is there? What sort of evidence can the person present? Um, you know, the, you can't just go and say, you know, I, I don't think Suzanne needs a guardian anymore. Um, you know, I play poker with her once a week and she, she, uh, she wins and she takes my money every week. So I don't think she needs a guardian or a conservator. Um, you know, that's not evidence. Um, so, you know, anybody can petition the court for that, but they also, they, they have to have the evidence um, to do it. And the, the, the Free Britney movement, um, you know, they're fans and they adore her, but let's face it, none of us are in the courtroom. None of us have reviewed the evidence. Um, we live in a society where a lot of people get their law degrees from either being on Facebook or watching Law and Order. Um, and they get their medical degrees from watching Grey's Anatomy. And, you know, and now in the last year, everybody's, you know, uh, um, an expert on epidemiology. So, you know, we have to be really careful with armchair quarterbacking because we don't have all the evidence and we can't have all the evidence. And as much as, you know, we may hate it, we don't have the right to all the evidence. This is a private matter. Um, and as much as, you know, we may love celebrities, we really don't have the right to all the nitty gritties of their personal life. So um, I don't know how much effect the Free Britney movement really has, except for sometimes people just need to feel like they're doing something. Um, and um, because the court is ultimately going to make the decision based on evidence. So armchair quarterbacks aside, if somebody is under a guardianship or conservatorship and they want to get that removed or amended, what, what can they do? Well, um, the first thing they need to do is have evidence that um, they have been either partially or fully restored to capacity. And what that means is that they no longer need a guardian. They're able to make their own decisions. 
And it could be that maybe they never needed it in the first place, or it could be that they have matured or they have gotten past that emergency situation that brought them to guardianship in the first place. But they have evidence that they no longer need that level of protection. Such evidence could be a letter from a doctor um, or a mental health professional, someone who's licensed, who says, um, you know, I've worked with this person for the last five years. I've seen a great level of maturity um, during that time period. And um, in my medical opinion or my professional opinion, this person no longer needs a guardian. Um, that's enough evidence that, that you know, you, you could take that case to court and, and ask the court to remove the guardianship. DLCV does assist people in those types of cases if the person is able to get that evidence, if they're able to get that letter, or they're able to get, you know, a full capacity evaluation that says they no longer need a guardian, that they have capacity. So if you have that evidence, you're able to get that evidence, then, you know, you can contact DLCV or you can hire, you know, a private attorney um, to go to court and ask the court to terminate or modify that guardianship. And I would say, you know, may, perhaps one last question, perhaps we will keep meandering as we are wont to do. Um, but another question from social media, um, listener Hannah, thank you, Hannah, not, pro not producer Hannah, different Hannah, um, asked uh, if we could talk about the positive or necessary reasons for guardianship and conservator existing. Um, so it's possible to tell the difference, I guess, from when it's a good and necessary thing, if it ever is a necessary thing, um, versus when it's being misused. So when I talk about guardianship and advanced directives and supportive decision-making and representative payee and different ways to protect an individual, I call it's tools in the toolbox, okay? All of those tools serve a purpose, just like in, if you have a toolbox at home, you know, the wrench serves a purpose, the screwdriver serves a purpose, the hammer serves a purpose. So it's the same thing with um, substitute decision-making. They're all tools in the toolbox and they all have a purpose. They can either be used correctly or incorrectly. The guardianship tool, if you will, in the toolbox is the sledgehammer. It's the big guns. Um, and if you need a sledgehammer to do the job, you need a sledgehammer to do the job and you know nothing else is gonna do it. But if I need to screw in a screw or nail in a nail and I use a sledgehammer, I can do that. And the screw or the nail might go into the wood but it's gonna cause a lot of other damage that I didn't think about. Um, and so the same thing with guardianship. If you use guardianship when less restrictive alternatives are available, yeah, it, it may serve the purpose, but boy, it's gonna cause a lot of other things that you may not have thought about. All those loss of civil rights. Um, you know, people doing, you know, having a conservatorship and then all of a sudden, you know, it, say it's somebody outside of the house, it's somebody that's hired to do it. And now the spouse doesn't have access to, you know, the bank account or, um, you know, the, the, so, you know, there may be unforeseen circumstances. Um, or consequences, I should say, um, that we don't think about. So yes, guardianship and conservatorship is necessary in some cases. 
you know, if you're talking about your elderly mother who's got dementia and you didn't put anything into place before the dementia in terms of a power of attorney or advanced directive of any sort, then, you know, guardianship might be your only option. If you have an individual who doesn't have the capacity to, to um, enter into uh, an advanced directive, um, they just truly cannot understand the concept of asking somebody else to make decisions for them when they can't, um, then guardianship may be the only option. Capacity is fluid. And if somebody truly yes. does not have capacity on one day, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get back. Absolutely. But- but there are some conditions, like you mentioned, with progressive dementia and, um, you know, certain cognitive disabilities where, yeah, it's the capacity in that case is probably fairly stable or degenerative. Yes, yes. And even people with um, late stage dementia will sometimes have lucid moments. Um, and if you can catch those lucid moments and talk to them about an advanced directive, do it. Um but, you know, there's, there, there's going to come a point in those people's lives where it's too late. Um, and a really sad um, phone call I got several years ago, someone had been to one of my presentations and about advanced directives. And it just so happened that their niece shortly after that was in a serious car accident, was in a coma. And the person said, how can I get her an advanced directive? Well, she's in a coma. And so unfortunately that's not the time that it can be done. And so, you know, um, so if things have not been put into place, guardianship may be um, the tool that needs to be made. You can limit guardianship and conservatorship. Maybe the person can, you know, make decisions about where they live and that sort of thing, but they really can't make complicated medical decisions. Well, you can have a guardian just for medical decisions. The court can limit it. Um, and remember all those civil rights we talked about losing, the court can protect those rights. So the court could say in Brittany's case, you know, yes, I'm appointing a guardian, but I'm still retaining your right to drive because she obviously was driving after that. Um, so there are ways to tailor it to what the person needs rather than giving them a full guardianship and having them lose all of their civil rights. And I do also want to say, when we talk about capacity to do an advanced directive, um, capacity is not an all or nothing thing. Um, every decision we make requires a different level of capacity. I see capacity as being on a spectrum. And the reason I'm going to be famous is because I've developed uh, a way to understand the spectrum of capacity. It is peas to brain tumor. So here's how it works. If you can imagine me being in person, although I'm really glad you can't because I don't look great today. But anyway, um, I would be saying that uh, the lowest level of capacity is like at the floor level. And um, I call that peas because my two-year-old can very clearly decide whether he likes peas or not. And he can communicate that decision to me very clearly whether he likes peas or not. My three-year-old used to do it by sticking them in her nose to try to hide them. Um, and can I just say her, her record is three up one nostril. But anyway, I digress. So that's um, the P level of capacity. My toddlers have the capacity to decide whether they like peas and they have the capacity to communicate that to me. 
go all the way up to the ceiling or the sky to brain tumor level of capacity. And that's the doctor has given me a due diagnosis of a brain tumor, um, hypothetically, not for real. Um, there are four options for treatment. Each one of them has pros and cons. Let me explain those to you. Well, that's gonna take a pretty high level of capacity to understand those decisions and make a decision and communicate that decision. In order to uh, sign an uh, advanced directive to decide who can make decisions for me when I can't, it's much closer to peas than it is brain tumor. The person doesn't have to be verbal. I've done this with folks who are nonverbal. As long as they're able to clearly communicate in some way that they want someone to help them when they go to the doctor, when they have to take medication, or they have to have some sort of um, decision made about their life um, and who they want that person to be. I've had people point to pictures. I've had people gesture. Um, as long as you know that they understand, I may need help making decisions. And if I do, I want Suzanne to do it. Uh, if I can communicate that in some way, then I can um, what we call execute an advanced directive, meaning I can sign it. And you can sign with a mark with two witnesses. Um, most people say my signature looks like a mark anyway. Um, so you, um, so an advanced directive is very clearly a good alternative to guardianship, even with folks with limited capacity. I feel very strongly about this um, because it is a way to keep families out of the courthouse. It is a way for people to maintain their civil rights and as much independence as possible. Dana Trainum, thank you so much once again. <laughs> Thank you guys. It's been fun. Free Brittany. And now a DLCV highlight. State and federal agencies offer lots of options for people with disabilities to seek formal redress of their grievances, but it can be hard to know which agency to turn to when something goes wrong. DLCV has a new resource page to help you learn about formal complaint options the Virginians with Disabilities. The page includes information about complaints involving abuse, voting rights, housing, transportation, health care, and much more. Visit www.dlcd.org slash self, S-E-L-F, hyphen advocacy today. Still not sure which complaint action is best to do? Request help by calling 1-800-552-3962 on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. Well, thank you one more time to the lovely Dana Trainum. Um, hopefully, you guys in listening to this understand. And, well, I'm not going to say understand the free Britney movement more because, again, we are not speculating on her specific situation and none of this is necessarily applicable to California or California law. Um, but I I'm just so happy people suddenly care about guardianship, Suzanne. Me too. And I think this is such a good thing. We talked about this a little bit in our prep, but a really good way to think about this is that there are a lot of people who have guardians and there are a lot of people, you know, the vast majority of those people aren't as famous as Britney Spears. So I'm hoping that people will take their passion 
Um, and sometimes, you know, in some situations, they're outraged for this and really start thinking about guardianship in their state. Yes. And if you want to take um, these things on a personal level, uh, we have a supported decision making portal on our website, which is dlcv.org. Um, and we will be having Dana back real soon to talk about advanced directives and other ways to prevent guardianship. In the meantime, thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. On Twitter at Disability Law VA, we are on Facebook at the Disability Law Center of Virginia, and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Suzanne. And I'm Virginia. And this has been Rights Here, Rights Now.